Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and you are listening to All Ball. And... I find uh, our next guest or our next couple of pods to be perfect for, among other things, this time of year. You know, one of the things that you're hearing or you're actually seeing as I'm watching highlights from the NBL, which, of course, you're going down to Australia and parts of New Zealand, where some of these young basketball players, instead of playing college basketball or overtime elite or the G League Ignite, they're, they're taking their talents down there and using that as a prep to the NBA. Um, I find it fascinating to see so many avoiding the college experience. Now, there's a lot that goes into the college experience. There's a lot that goes into um, why I think college athletics, college basketball in particular, is still incredibly valuable for so many, even the most talented athletes. And the argument that, well, they're not getting paid, that argument has been made moot. But why not bring on a guest who's experienced the life of a late bloomer athletically, a late bloomer in basketball, who went through the college process, who played some in the NBA, but really made it a name for himself playing overseas and what that is entirely like, what that lifestyle is like, and what the lifestyle is like of making it to the NBA in the juxtaposition of the two. Pat Burke is going to be my guest in the next couple of podcasts. Uh, Pat's the first ever Irish-born player to play in the NBA. Of course, he grew up mostly in the States, and you'll get to hear his story. Uh, there's a lot in this, right? It's the story of a kid late to basketball, the story of a kid who was finally coached the right way for his personality, for her, his mentality, for his development, the story of a guy who didn't believe in himself many times over, and then when he did, maybe he got a little bit too full of himself. There's a lot of meat on this bone. Here's part one with former European basketball star and, of course, played with the Orlando Magic and the Phoenix Suns, the graduate of the University of Auburn, Pat Burke. Pat, let, let's start. Okay, so, you know, when you, when anybody, like, Google searches you that doesn't remember he's a player, like, oh, well, he's Irish, but you actually, you know, were born in Ireland, but played, played high school basketball in the States and, of course, went to school at Auburn. Give me, give me the give me the true picture of born, raised, what your early childhood life was like. So um, my family left Ireland when I was four. Uh, we moved to Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, like I'd say, like any typical uh, Irish culture or any any uh, immigrant family that comes in, I think we were a little shy to go into sports right away. And uh, I think my. I'd say my initial organized sports experience was I was sitting in our, our kitchen in Cleveland and uh, 
my aunt, my, my dad's sister actually brought my, my cousin David into the kitchen with him and just started talking about it and she signed him up for ice hockey. And I can just remember like the, the room went completely quiet. Like my dad, like looked up from probably his little cup of tea, like, uh, what are you talking about? Like, how, how are we going to get involved in ice hockey? And so then the next focus was, uh, my aunt Patricia asked me, she said, Pat, would you like to play? And uh, I looked up at my parents and uh, they said, yeah, you can if you want. And I, I went and started playing ice hockey for, I started playing for about eight years. Amazing. What, you know, it's, it's your family, you know, and you uh, immigrating over here. It's almost like a throwback to the stories of like my grandparents and great grandparents in terms of your experience. What is that experience like of being an immigrant family in Cleveland, Ohio, shoot me the picture of your childhood. Cause I'm okay. I, I'm, my, my mind is going in different places. I wonder what it's right. like. So uh, let's just say the menu was completely Irish, uh, a lot of <laughs> Irish stew, a lot of shepherd's pie. Um, we stayed, I'd say unto uh, ourselves, a lot of Irish family. So uh family get together. Where, 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 where in Cleveland? And, and so the west asked, side, I grew, I grew up in really three towns from Bay Village, Rocky River, and Avon Lake. So west side of Cleveland. Uh, my dad uh, got into, you know, construction, landscaping. He, he opened up, a, you know, a number of different businesses. Um, at that time, I remember anything that was going on at school, bake sales. My mom was bringing in not chocolate chip cookies like all the other American kids. We had scones. A lot of kids going, you know, what the hell are those? Uh, yeah, just very Irish, you know, as a kid, just going back and forth to Ireland. Vacations were not, you know, going out west, not going to Hawaii, not going to California, not going to Florida. We were going back to Ireland pretty much every vacation we had to go visit family. Uh, when relatives came over, we all got in the car, um, you know, met them at the gate. Uh, as soon as they got out, it was just... Uh, all the aunts and uncles and my parents, I remember looking at my grandparents or uncles coming over and just uh, worrying if they brought over Irish sausages and, and uh, <laughs> bacon and all that good stuff on their carry-on. So, yeah, so a lot of it was, um, you know, we, we joined Irish heritage clubs. So a lot of the, the culture was not just reinforced through getting together, but through music um, and just celebrating, you know, Irish heritage, um, even sports. If people don't know, a lot of uh, Irish sports is really unto itself as well. The most popular sports are in the Gaelic Athletic Association. There's the Irish football, um, which is much different than American football, and then hurling. And so uh, whenever they have the All-Ireland, like the, it would be like the epitome of the Super Bowl for the United States. Um, I remember at that time, VHS tapes would show up and they were different versions of vhs i remember like we go down into my uncle's basement and like a television was turned upside down with some sort of connection to see a scrambled uh black and white video of uh someone scoring a goal from my dad's county or something and everyone's screaming so yeah so it was it was probably a, a lot a lot more different than most of my friends in, in our neighborhood and uh, what we experienced it's interesting, the hockey element, because when you became uh, widely considered the best center in Europe, right, when, you know, later on in life, a lot of it was about your movement. You moved exceptionally well. And it's interesting because a lot of the, and I want to get into this kind of a little bit further, a lot of the, the reason European bigs have kind of taken over, I think there's a lot of different reasons, but one is, as you know, play soccer 
for practice, right? In terms of agility, how much do you think the hockey helped you in terms of your basketball and your movement for a man your size? I'd say, well, a lot of the, so that let's just say there's the tactical and the technical. So the technical side of things, I played as a kid, so I probably didn't study tapes or anything on any greats like Wayne Gretzky or anything. So the tactical side of things would have been, you know, understanding, you know, where to be uh, on defense, uh, you know, again, supporting the team, knowing how to play even, I mean, the terminology wasn't help side, but understanding, you know, kind of the, the, the different part, the different parts of strategy inside of the game would have been, but again, as on the, on the physical side, you know, yes, I had size, but I remember the, uh, the transition into basketball, different muscle groups, you know, there was no vertical jump there. It was just, you know, flat, just not being able to barely touch the rim at the time and realizing that, you know, I, I did bring a competitive nature and it was very physical, but uh, right. again, five fouls right away in a game is not going to uh, contribute <laughs> to someone staying on the floor and actually uh, developing into a, a standout player right away. So when did you make the transition to basketball? How old were you? So I was uh, around 14. Uh, I had a huge growth spurt in one summer. Um, I remember I moved from, uh, when we were just sharing earlier, I moved from Rocky River Davon Lake. And uh, during that summer, I remember, uh, you know, I was I was just a, a hockey fanatic. I played spring, summer, winter, fall leagues all the time. And during that growth spurt, I remember my mom just we went into, uh, you know, at the time in those communities, you'd have equipment swaps. And so you'd, you'd find someone in the neighborhood who had their garage and they would, you know, you bring your skates, your helmet, your, you know, whatever you were you know, not fitting anymore. And you'd put your stuff on the table and you'd exchange it for the next size up. And all my stuff was at the end of the table. And so there was no more exchange. And so then I remember my mom just like, well, we got to figure out something else. And uh, initially, then for that summer, I found out I grew seven inches. So I went from eighth grade, leaving at uh, 5'10", and then moving into this new town. And, uh, you know, understanding that sports, of course, it, it creates an opportunity for you to meet friends. My mom wanted me to join other sports, even though hockey was not going to be on the uh, the future plans. So I decided I wasn't going to play. And I stayed the whole summer inside my basement, just playing video games with my brothers. And uh, I grew that seven inch. I went from, you know, from uh, 5'10 to 6'5 in one summer. And then she signed me up for American football. So what, what video games? Uh, this, uh, that's this, not, this is the most important. Yeah. That's that the Nintendo? most important thing, right? Like, yeah. just uh block graphics it was like nintendo at the time so everything so nintendo, were you nintendo mario, are we talking atari i'm trying to think what year because when nintendo came out right it was super mario brothers zelda but then you also had like double dribble tech mobile yeah. rbi baseball but again you know your immigrant family you're playing hockey of course uh, I, uh blades of steel was the first steel, big hockey game which right. was amazing yeah. that was a yeah. great game yeah yeah, so a lot of a lot of those type of games, you know, like at Christmas, you'd get, you know, just fitted with hockey gear, hockey theme stuff. So like, yeah, the, the video games, uh, you know, again, it was Super Mario Brothers. It just basically, I was a kid. I, I didn't have an extreme focus on one thing, so I probably played, you know, Metroid, all types of those Metroid, games. Yeah, yeah those Contra, the yeah, Contra, Contra, all those yeah. games. Yeah, my brothers and I would just battle it out. So now you're going to play football and you're this gangly, like there's no one grows seven inches and it's completely yeah. coordinated right away. That's right. How did, how did football go your freshman year? It did not go well. So I, I showed up two weeks late. 
uh, for the conditioning, you know, new kid. Sure. So I, I remember I went into the, uh, the high school office, signed up for the, the sport, and then uh, they gave me the equipment the day one. So I'm putting on all this gear I've never put on before. I'm walking across the parking lot over to this shady oak tree where all the guys are, uh, you know, they're in the, the, the rest period between the two a days. And uh, this guy comes up and he's like, whoa, how, you know, how tall are you? Like, you're huge. And I remember now in eighth grade, I had left. I was 5'10". So you know, right. mentally, I still thought I was 5'10". So as I come up to them, I'm like, I'm 5'10". And these guys are like, dude, there's something wrong with this guy. You know, what the what's he talking about? So this guy comes out. He's like, can't be 5'10". I'm 6'2". And I'm looking up at you. And I'm like, uh, I don't feel any different. You know, I, so it was just it was, you know, really being closed minded about the fact that, you know, I was still the same kid. And so then I remember after that practice, I went home, checked my uh, height, you know, just found a little spot in the in the kitchen and uh, measured, found out that I grew seven inches, went up to my mom. She was in the kitchen, probably making scones or tea or something. And I said, Mom, I'm six five. And as she turned, she was just like, oh, Jesus, look at you. You know, and so then she was calling all my <laughs> aunts and uncles and relatives in, in Ireland and just saying, like, he's six five. And so at that point, I finished the football season. Uh, I started the first year of, uh, you know, my first days of school. I remember walking in and the world had an influence on me then. It's just like, hey, you know, you should play basketball. And everybody kept telling me, but I didn't go out that freshman year had a lot of you know lack of confidence like you said like you, your, your motor skills are off you're just not feeling yourself and then uh the next year i was six seven so then starting that starting that again that next year i was like this is impossible that uh you know i'm six seven so then but where let's say my freshman year you know let's say 10 people during the day kept telling me you should play basketball by the time i was six seven the sophomore year it was like 20 people were telling me. So then I, I had the, uh, I guess, the courage with everyone telling me I should go out. I, I went and tried out. Now, had you played basketball before? No. Not at what is that? What is that experience like, that learning curve like? I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, Doug. I, every time I walk into the gym and I walk in, I talk to kids, or I, I just, I'm just about to walk into a camp, I get the same feeling. I look out at the floor. And that first day ever looking out, I remember I was watching, you know, kids that have been practicing all their lives. So you're watching all this between, you know, the legs dribbling behind the back, shooting threes with good form. And I still see it today. And I remember being the kid in the doorway going, what am I doing? Like, uh, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And uh, so I went out there. I just, you know, I was shooting two-handed. There was no development of anything. You know, I understood, of course, <clears throat> put the ball in the metal cylinder, but uh, everything was outside of that. I was just so far beyond any understanding of how to play the game with the skill. So how did you how did you pick it up? Like what, what was what was the process by which you went to go from there to being a, a Division One scholarship athlete? So my first, I always tell people I had two coaches, and I think the good Lord put them in a certain. Uh, order for me my first coach that sophomore year jv basketball he you know i made the team it was like every day he told me you know who i wasn't who i was never going to be just uh autocratic just you know righteously telling me you know you did this wrong you're doing this and before before long i was didn't even know but behind my back i was just the joke of the team and uh even on the first before the very first game he went around he was telling everybody the roles he's like you know hey 
you know, Fred, you're you're our point guard. You're going to control the tempo of the game. You're going to be our communicator. You're going to echo everything that I need to say to the guys. And they go down the line. You're our, you know, you're our three-point shooter. You're going to be the sniper of the team. And he's thrown the power forward. And I was sitting there nervously at the end of this conversation. I'm like, what's he going to say to me? And by the time he got to me, my hands are sitting there sweating, and he just stops, and he's pointing at me, and he says, uh, Pat, I never want to see you dribble the ball. And at that point, you know, I always tell kids, like, you know, the biggest fear kids have is not fitting in. And I remember at that point, I wasn't looking good, feeling good, or feeling safe, and uh, I was done. I was like, I'm done with basketball. And uh, the saving grace that I didn't have to quit is I got I got home shortly after that couple of weeks. And I remember my dad was coming in from a cold Cleveland winter. And we're at the we're at the dinner table. I'm the youngest of six. So myself and my next older brother, Niall, were sitting at our kitchen table. My dad said to my mom, Niall, myself, he said, would you guys consider moving to Florida? And I was like, I will pack my bags right now. Like, I'm so done. I, I just don't want to be in this situation anymore. And so we moved shortly after that, halfway through that JV basketball season, moved down to Cape Coral, Florida. I walked into school thinking basketball was so far removed, never had to go through that embarrassment again. As soon as I walked in the door at 6'7", I think the first kid that saw me was like, whoa, how tall are you? And I'm like, I'm six, seven. And he just ran down the hall and he was like, we're going to win the state championship. And I was like, no, don't know. <laughs> and uh, it just spread. It spread like wildfire. Like every class, people thought I was being humble. They're like, hey, you, know, how, you know, can you dunk? And I was like, no, I can't. And they're like, he's lying. He's lying. He's amazing. And I'm like, no guys, I, I, I don't even play. And nobody would take my word for it. And so then at the end of the day, I'm I'm walking down the hall, like ready to go home. Like this is the worst situation I could have ever imagined with the reset. And this uh, this gentleman taps my shoulder, and I turn, and he says, uh, "Hey, are you the new guy?" And I said, uh, "Yes, sir, I am." And he says, uh, "Hey, you want to go down to the gym and shoot some hoops?" And I, I, I mean, his voice came out of me like I'm not a basketball player. And he said, uh, "Well, I didn't say you were. I just wanted to get to know you. You want to go shoot some hoops with me? I'm co you know Coach Marty Waters." And I'm like, okay, I know this routine. I'll go down there. I'll start shooting. You'll realize. Out of the gym. And he's like, hey, uh, Pat, you ever shot over here on the elbow? And I'm like, yeah, I've shot there. So he's like, let's take some shots. So I start shooting. Brick, brick, air ball, brick. And he uh, he's rebounding. I mean, he's just running around getting these rebounds. And he comes up to me and he's like, hey, uh, you have a nice soft touch. And I'm like... Is there something wrong with this guy? Like, what are you talking about? I just bricked every shot. And so uh, he told me that the varsity coach from that school, Avon Lake High School, had contacted him that I was coming down, that I was a project player. He told him that I had played eight years of ice hockey. So I was uh, pleasantly surprised that, you know, someone had actually taken that initiative to call. And so Coach Waters said to me, he said, hey, what if I can set this up where – Everyone will understand that, you know, you've played ice hockey and that you're out here to do your best. And I promise you that there won't be any expectations. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll go for it. So he brings in the team, like, you know, the next day or I, I come to one of the practices and he's like, hey, guys, this is Pat. He just moved down here. He's six, seven. He played eight years of ice hockey. And I guarantee if we were on ice right now, he'd probably slam you all into a wall. You'd never be able to stand up. He would skate circles around you. He said, but he's transitioning over to basketball. And I think if we help him, he'll help us. 
And it was like one of the coolest moments because I was like, wow, I wish I had that every time I walked in to something new. And so then uh, as uh, that season started going, I, you know, I didn't play that much that scene, that, that transition into that uh, sophomore second half. And, but then by the spring and summer, man, I was around my house and I just remember the phone rang and my mom would come up to me and be like, Pat, Pat, there's, there's someone named Michael on the phone. I'm like, mom, I don't know, Michael. And she'd be like, well, someone's on the phone. So I go pick it up. He's like, Pat, hey, it's Mike. Um, you know, the coach told me to come pick you up. We're going to go play over here at uh, Fort Myers Beach. I'm like, okay. So they pick me up. As soon as I get home, somebody else would call me. And they'd be like, hey, you know, hey, this is John. Coach told me to pick you up. I'm about to go shoot in the driveway. And slowly I started to, you know, get an understanding. I was going kinesthetically through the motions. But then Coach Waters kept asking me these thought-provoking questions. And even my dad, you know, didn't have this sense of like uh, asking these type of questions in this leadership space. So he kept asking me, like, what would you like to do in life? And I'm like, you know, my my uh, my life is pretty destined to you know be a landscaper like my dad. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be playing basketball. And he said, well, I think, you know, that you're still growing. And I think that maybe there's an opportunity, you know, even a small college could come look at you. And I was like, this guy, whatever. So anyways, about my senior year, I'm. You know, I'm 6'11", and he's, you know, has changed everything in me. I'm, I have the confidence where I'm out in the driveway and I'm practicing all the time. You know, I'm at night. I'm taking my mom's lamps out in the driveway and I'm turning them on. Neighbors are walking by. They're seeing me working on post moves. And they're probably thinking they're going, this guy, you know, what's, what's he thinking? He's not going anywhere. And uh, then, you know, colleges started to come in and talk to me. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. How good was your team your senior year? Um, I think we had a lot of potential. Uh, the chemistry, you know, this was Mariner High School back in, you know, that, that would have been the 91, 92 year. So a lot of, ki- a lot of kids were moving in uh at that time so it it wouldn't be unfamiliar to see like new kids moving in every week so i think that we had put together you know a fairly good looking team on a poster i think it was like 611 like 68 you know it's just a lot of real good height but uh we never really got to that level i think that we were um I think we were, you know, too young at the time to realize, you know, what we what we could have been doing. But Coach Waters did a great job, of course, of uh, you know setting up a great schedule for us. We we went out and we played in a, in a bunch of tournaments. But 
uh, I, I think it was all based on the fact that, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't developed or I hadn't reached my full potential, you know? So a lot of times I would have these like freakish stats where, you know, you'd have like 11 blocks, one game, and then one game you'd have like five rebounds and you'd have like, you know, 18 rebounds. So the consistency wasn't there. You know, at that time, I, I probably wasn't setting any goals as far as like how the team would actually uh, become better. I was only working just on how do I become better, you know, technically. Uh, okay, so then take me through the recruiting process. By the way, is what was your coach's name? Uh, coach Marty Waters. Is he still alive? He is. Is he still coaching? Uh, he's not coaching, no. That's pretty amazing, though. The, the understanding... The emotional intelligence it takes to understand what a kid has, what a kid needs, and how to support him. Like, that's really remarkable. Because your first coach, you know, in Cleveland, like, that's how a lot of that generation coached, right? Yeah. Is break them down, build them back up. And just some kids you can't because internally they've already broken themselves back down, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, uh, you know, looking back now, my hindsight and seeing it is, there's this theory that uh, a gentleman came up with in, like in the 60s called transformative learning theory. And it's one of the most disruptive ways to actually get people to learn. And most of it is done through not addition. And that old school way that I, I've recognized that, you know, a large portion of people are still doing this. They're coaching with telling people what to do. You know, you'll see a coach on the sideline telling a kid, I told you a thousand times, you got to box out. And you're going, yeah, you're not even hearing yourself. You're saying you told him a thousand times, but you didn't realize after two or three that what you're doing isn't working as far as an impact to create transformative learning, you know, to actually speak or work with someone to actually have them turn into something else. So Marty Waters was doing was he was actually having me subtract bad habits. And so that's really what the you know transformative theory works on a lot of it. like, let's go back to when you first thought something and then let's figure out, you know, the most effective way to do it. And in doing so, like after I left, I kept going, it was something about the way Coach Waters would communicate. And I kept thinking about it. And then, you know, here now I'm almost 50 years old. I actually studied all of that ways he was doing it. And that's how I work with, with youth and individuals, whether it's in business or in basketball, is actually going through those same, you know, uh, let's say methods of actually working with others, finding out their truth, not the one that I'm seeing from, you know, from, from this person's point of view or perspective, I'm actually, you know, figuring out how do we share a grounded reality? Uh, okay. Your recruitment to Auburn, how'd that, how'd okay. that go down? So, uh, you know, pretty much late in the game, moved down to Florida, you know, as you know, now today's world, I mean, they'll find a kid when he's 12, you know, like in a remote country of the world. So nobody knew that there was a six eleven guy in Cape Coral. So, Coach Marty Waters came up. I think the, the one practice I broke a backboard and uh, he came on a dunk, not a shot. <laughs> so he came up to me and he said, hey, I'm going to send this uh, out to, uh, I don't even know, I can't remember who the coach is at the time. And he was like, hey, I'm going to send this out to uh, this coach. I think that, you know, that they should come look at you. And I was like, uh, okay. And, you know, he was taking care of all of the handling of uh, communication. So then Small colleges started to send letters. Uh, so I started getting recruited by Winthrop, um, went also to Stetson, went to UC, or I got UCF with Joe Dean, 
Tommy Joe Eagles was at Auburn at the time, and his coach, uh, Coach Haddix, was the one that was actually you know showing up on campus to take a look. So then uh, Loyola Marymount out in California um, was also uh, communicating with me at the time. That was back when LMU was was uh, was was run up and down and, and winning right a lot of games. Down. Yeah. So why Auburn? Uh, Tommy Joe Eagles. Uh, he when he came in, his presence was one that I knew I was like, you know what? There's something about him. I, I really trusted in everything that he was saying. He could see that I was a project. Um, he was probably the main reason. When I visited the university, I was like, this is beautiful. It was probably the most quiet of all my uh, visits. Uh, most of them, they were all trying to like take me out. American University was another one. So a lot of them were just taking me out, you know, showing me kind of the social scene. When I got to Auburn, it was like, I went out with the guy who was graduating, Chris Brandt, uh, and Chris, you know, he basically just showed me around. I went to a restaurant. We went to a pet shop to grab some food for his fish. <laughs> and, uh, after, after, after going through all of it, I was like, I think this is the one, you know. And, but then there was one more thing, Doug, that, you know, it really nipped me in the ass was uh, the starting center was Chris going out at the time. And the next guy in line, I think was a guy named Aaron Swinson, who was six, four. And so my belief was, Hey, I'm six eleven. I'm coming in here. I'm going to start. Um, what about your parents? Like they hadn't experienced any of this. None of it. What was, what was their, what was their influence like on your decision? So uh, going back to what we were sharing kind of about the leadership side of things is I think the benefit of my dad, not knowing anything, was there was no tampering in any of uh, Coach Waters' uh, beliefs or his techniques. So he basically was like, hey, Coach Waters, here's my son. Please do your best to, to help him with this. And so my dad never got involved in, you know, like trying to shoot in the drive with me or putting me through ball handling stuff. He just didn't know. You know, again, as growing up Irish, you know, like there was a lot of things that were the, you know, initially whenever we did something, it was the first time doing it. So me going through basketball, I think that uh, he knew his place was like, hey, I'm going to support my son and uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and give him some sort of advice that, you know, doesn't translate. But again, and, and I don't want to be presumptuous because I don't know your family dynamic. My guess would be Irish immigrant family that it was a some sort of push up. Hey, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it right. Right. You're going to do like, there's a, I mean, I, I think one of the things that has changed um, and it's, it's, it, it's, I think most of it is actually our generation because we're the parents now, right. Is the, the questioning of parent teachers, the questioning of coaches, the questioning of leadership yeah, in your upbringing. Was there any, what was, what was your, you know, like, look, my dad wasn't, he was grandson of immigrants, but it's like people ask, like, how, why'd you get good grades in high school? Well, I didn't have any other choice, yeah. you know, yeah. and why'd you work hard basketball? I, I didn't have any other choice. What was what was even though he wasn't involved in the day to day, what was his influence like academically and in terms of your work ethic? So academically, it would have been, you know, the grade reports coming home. You know, he'd sit down with you and just you know communicate like, you know, what's going on here? You know, and it, again, it was it wouldn't be more of a question. It would be like you can do better, and uh, yeah. you'd feel you'd feel an understanding of if there was disappointment. You know, that would be something that would burn 
inside of you and you'd know, you know, you'd made some choices that, you know, got in the way of, you know, studying for tests or, or doing assignments. As far as the work ethic in games, I think, you know, just seeing my dad work as hard as he could, you know, to, to make ends meet, you know, I'm the youngest of six. So I saw the older three going off to college, my mom and dad making ends meet that I don't think I ever was coached in energy or effort. It just, you know, I went as hard as like, even when I played pro, I just, I never would have thought once to like drop at a level. And uh, I think that comes from, again, is like when you're, when you're growing up and it's just what you see, you never see anybody taking a day off. You just, you're always going as hard as you can. And I think that that's one of the things that even when my dad, mom and dad saw me in games, I don't remember my mom and dad ever after a game going, oh, you really had good energy. You know, it would be because it wasn't ever put in there. It was just like, you know, you did you did well with this. And what did your coach say about this? So a lot of a lot of going back to, you know, uh, kind of the abstract of today's world with parents, you know, saying and giving their opinion. My parents would have been like, well, what did Coach Waters say about this? Or what does he think about that? And as soon as he I would share what it was, it would be like, that's what you're going to do. You know, and so I think that my parents really partnered with my coach, you know, and anybody who was involved as far as, uh, you know, just creating a larger sense of team and uh, a kind of a uniform thought process. Be like, OK, let's do that. You know, so I think that, you know, after games and stuff, my, my mom and dad would go up to Coach Waters and shake his hand. And just there, there was a lot of understanding that this was not happening because. You know, a rock hit me in the head and all of a sudden, you know, I understood how to do a drop step. You know, it was like they knew that he was investing a lot of time. And now that all these coaches and, and colleges were coming in, that he was the influence that was making it happen. So you, you go to Auburn. Um, what do you remember about showing up on campus? So I'm sitting there, my mom and dad, we drive uh, the nine hours up there. I have a trunk that has two pair of jeans, a couple of t-shirts. My dad hands me $200 and he says, make this work. And I'm like, wow, this is a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I fix my room up all of 15 minutes. And uh, then I remember there's a knock at my door and Aaron Swinson, the six, four second coming of Charles Barkley says, Hey, uh, you the new guy, Pat? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I meet him. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. He's like, hey, we're going to go play some uh, some pickup uh, down at the gym. And I said, okay. So I'm sitting there and I'm getting nervous because no one's seen me play. I've never seen them play. And in a, in one pickup game, Aaron Swinson dunks on me about 15 times. <laughs> and I have, I have no, I have no. You're like, what, what, what am I doing here? Yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? And immediately it just starts crushing me. And then we, uh, then most of the guys show up and we, they start playing pickup ball and, uh, I can't, I can't hold my own. I can't even stop any of the guys, you know, I'm about, I'm six eleven, and I'm just probably just a little over 200 pounds. So I'm like, a, I'm like a skeleton and they're just taking advantage of me. And then before long, I'm not even getting picked up in the games. So I remember, uh, you know, I'd sit there and I'd try to voice say I got downs and they wouldn't even listen to me. They would actually play five on five and they go, let's just run it back. And so then after a while, I just went into the locker room and I just started watching television, uh, you know, every day in preseason. And then one of the coaches came in and was like, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you out there playing? And I was like, I, I've been out there for you know a week and a half. They won't let me on the court. And, uh, 
so then they just kept telling me like, you got to go out there. And it just, it wasn't happening. So my first month at Notre Dame, do you remember Keith Tower? Yeah. He lives down here in Orlando. Okay. <laughs> so Keith had graduated, but he and LaFonso Ellis, a couple other guys came back and Keith was, Keith's whole thing was like, he, he, it was his pickup game. So he's like, little guy, you ain't got no credit hours. You can't get on this court. So at Notre Dame, and I think it's where their practice facilities now is they have what's called the pit. And the pit is, you know, the, the Joyce Center or now, uh, I forget what it's called now. Um, but they have uh, several auxiliary gyms and the main auxiliary gym is down kind of below in the bowels of the arena. And it's a nice setup and that's where we play pickup ball. And so Keith kind of ran the pit, even though he'd already kind of graduated. And it was the same thing. Like I couldn't get on the court. Now it wasn't that I was bad. It was that I was a freshman and I was, I'm sure kind of cocky. And I was told like I was, I was brought in to be the starting point guard. And at some point, like I couldn't get on the court. So I did the opposite of what you did. I stood at the free throw line and just wouldn't move. And these fucking guys start playing without me. Yeah. And I'm like, Dude, I came here to, to play, so I'm going to play. And Keith, you know, Keith would just have him keep playing for a while. Finally, like, Franny McCaffrey came down. He's like, fellas, we got to get everybody in here. You know, it's like, and I think they probably pulled Keith aside. Like, look, dude, I, I get it. You know, you're the older guy. You're the NBA player at the time. Like, you got to let the guys play. But I, I, I completely know the, know the feeling of not feeling like you're fitting in, belonging. Yeah. And it's really... All right, then it gets worse because then I'm sure when you started practice, you're like, holy crap, I'm even more lost. Yeah. Yeah. So then we start practice. Exactly. <laughs> we start doing drills and uh, Tommy Joe Eagles before practices, he, you know, we, we'd, we'd warm up, stretch at, at uh, half court. We'd have a big circle and he'd walk around, he'd visit with everybody. And he'd come up to me and be like, hey, Biggin, you all right, Biggin? And I'm just like sitting there like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, you sure? You know, because he's getting all the report. But I couldn't see that big macro plan. I was like sitting there just in the micro going, um, I don't see it. And uh, every time I talk to my mom or dad, I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. My dad just like, stop, just stop. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you don't understand. Like, they're not letting me play. I'm in here when I'm going into practice. I don't understand like why I can't keep up with everybody and just, you know, I never even took a snapshot of these guys and said, you know, what was their experience? Like, what did they do in the year before in the weight room? What did they do as far as like, you know, getting faster lateral quickness to me, it was just like, this is never going to actually improve because I had never stepped into any other way of being more effective. So it was like, someone was like coach coach Eagles was like telling me, Hey, look, there's a, bunch of different approaches that you haven't even taken yet with your nutrition and strength training, all of this, you know, you're, you're coming in here, you know, like a skeleton, but you know, within that first year, I, I think I left there my freshman year with like 25 pounds of muscle. How much did you play? Uh, I didn't, I red shirt. I red shirt that first year. My, my uh, roommate, Lance Weems was Mr. Alabama for basketball, Mr. Alabama for football, Mr. Alabama for baseball. He was like, everyone's all American. So uh, he, he, he played that year. And so I just, I just, you know, I went out and I 
I suited up and I, you know, went through the layup lines with the guys warming up. And I just saw this tough year of just Auburn basketball. Like, let's let's see what Auburn basketball is in the SEC and all these non-conference games. Let's see what the country thinks. And uh, that's when I started to really put it together. I'm like, wow, this is a football school. <laughs> it is. It was a football school. Um, by the way, your, your roommate, who was Mr. Basketball and everything, did he play professionally in any of those sports? He didn't. You know, he uh, at the end of uh, his senior year, so he graduated a year before me, he had an offer to play in England. And the year before he had gotten married and uh, he, you know, he was sitting there going, do I put, you know, four or five years into this and then lose where I could be in the professional setting, you know, if I go get a job. And so, you know, I think he just he became very conservative there at the end. And he said, no, I'm going to I'm just going to start work. Two things come to mind with that. One, it's that you talk about different guys running their own race, right? Like he was, he was on a completely different path yeah. coming out of high school, right? And you become the top center in Europe. <laughs> that's that's amazing. But the other part to it is, and like th- this, this is an element that I'm glad that he got. He understood, and I know you understand is like we have completely devalued the relationship you can build with your university to use it to get that first and all your jobs. And, you know, it's, I do think our generation, a a good portion of us get it, but for whatever reason, you know, college has just become about how much can I get? How quickly can I get it? And not realizing the ramifications of the next 50 years of your life, you know, but it's like, that's why I went to Notre Dame was I went to Notre Dame because if it didn't work out, no, domers take care of domers. Yeah. And, and what I found is Oklahoma State people are unbelievably loyal when you're loyal to them. But now we have these guys, these transient guys, and they play at three or four schools. We're like, hey, when it's over, who are you going to call to get a job? Yeah. You know? Anyway, um, so the redshirt year it hit. And there's another part is like redshirt year is like a bad word to kids now. Like, yeah. Sometimes you need a year to develop, to figure it out, to grow, to understand what you're doing every day, to feel comfortable. Um, but, you know, this is 25 years ago. So uh, the set your sophomore year or your, your second year, your redshirt freshman year, what was that season like? So just before that, I end that year. I remember we go home for spring break. I come back and... Uh, my roommate Lance says, Hey, let's go to the gym and shoot. This is my freshman year after the season's all over. And I said, okay. So I I was feeling good. I was like, Hey, let me see that ball real quick. And I get the ball. I take like one dribble and I go up and I just slam the crap out of it. And he looks at me and he's like, Holy shit. And I was like, dude, I feel really good. And next thing you know, I'm just windmilling it and doing all these. I'm like, what just happened? And I hadn't realized that, you know, everything I had been doing in the weight room and nutrition wise was paying off. I mean, the nutrition side of it, it was like, you're coming out of class and you have a 3 PM scheduled, go eat four peanut butter sandwiches at the weight room. So, so then coming back, I I leave that summer and my dad was still a, a subscription member to an Irish newspaper called the echo. And at the back end of the Echo, he sees this uh, advertisement. It says, all Irish basketball players uh, call here or something. So he makes the call, and uh, I get on to this Irish uh, World University team's uh, game, or the World University Games team. 
And uh, when I get there, it's the funniest thing is I get to reinvent myself. Like none of the guys from Auburn are there. So when I get there, all the Irish guys are like, oh, you're amazing. This is great. And we have a lot of Irish, Irish Americans as well. And uh, I just started playing more dominant with, with that team. And then when I come back then that year that you're sharing the sophomore or my freshman year, the second year, um, I remember going through the, the preseason and everybody, Wesley Person, Aaron Swinson, all these guys are coming to you like, dude, you are not even the same person. And it was just that one moment to get away to realize, like at that time, I, I you know, we played the USA team in practices. We played all these other teams and I was getting, you know, some attention. And it was like, wow, you know, sometimes you go under a little hypnosis thinking the environment is telling you who you are, but it's like, that's bullshit. It's like you don't have to listen to what the environment says. You can actually create that and be in another environment, and then come back, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a paradigm shift. So I, I get, I get. Obviously, I get to play. I'm not starting. I'm not like in some position where you know Tommy Joe is using me amazingly because at that time, uh, most people don't even know this time of Tommy Joe Eagles. He had Wesley Person was the leading scorer of the SEC. Aaron Swinson was the second leading scorer, second leading rebounder, and Aubrey Wiley was the leading rebounder. And we probably lost in conference games on like an average of like two points. So going into the Rupp or going into Tennessee, you know, playing Jamal Mashburn and playing um, uh, the guys in Tennessee, we we got to Allen Houston. We got to a point where we're going to every game to the end, and we're just losing by a small margin. And then, of course, at the end of that year, Tommy Joe Eagles uh, got fired. And, uh, you know, that year was another one of those opportunities where you learn so much. All the guys that I looked up to were graduating, Aaron, Wesley, and Aubrey. And they had, they had taught us all, like, how to work, you know, as hard as you can and become, you know, the leaders in the conference in those categories. Okay, your coach gets fired, right? Now everybody leaves. What was it like for you then? Uh, so then the athlete, the athletic director comes up to David, David Housel, he gives us a call and he's like, Pat, we're, we're very interested in hearing your opinion on who we should be looking for and this, that, and the other. And like, we're looking for a Southern gentleman, <laughs> I was like a Southern gentleman. Why don't we just find somebody who wants to win and is effective at winning? But anyways, they, they had their parameters. And so then, uh, we get the call that coach Cliff Ellis is our coach. She's coming up from Clemson. And uh, the year before that, that redshirt year, we actually played Cliff uh, in the NIT in Clemson when they had Sharon Wright, uh, Chris Whitney. And so when we played, we played them, you know, you got to see kind of the atmosphere here is about. And then looking, looking back at when they were telling us Cliff was coming in, we started to look at all of the, you know, big centers in the NBA that he had, Horace Grant, uh, you know, uh, Dale Ellis and, and all these guys. And I started thinking, wow, this guy's really going to develop bigs. And so he came in and uh, he was, he was all about winning. So immediately he was like, we had a team meeting and he just said, look, we are, uh, whatever happened in the past is the past. This is a new, you know, this is a new movement forward. It's a new group. It's going to be a new environment. And it was. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, 
You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. How is it different? Uh, the practices, uh, I think, became more demanding. You know, really questioning people about understanding the tactics of the of the game. You know, I think that uh, it wasn't just going through the motions. And uh, Coach Ellis was, you know, extremely hard on us until we learned everything. Um, you know, he, he put in a faster paced full court press. We went into a one two on one. I was the top of it, so I was starting. Um, and you know, my whole goal in the beginning of that was just to put as much pressure as I could on the ball. Uh, he gave me, you know, the nod to, to play. And I was like, you know, extremely excited and wanted to do my best for him. Um, you know, his coaching staff was great. I think that also we changed, we changed the trainer and the strength room. Um, you know, th- there was just these subtle differences that you could tell that this was a bigger, uh, how would I say it was a, it was a bigger consistency uh, throughout the whole year, like you know, like what there might have been some time off, I think, in between Tommy Joe Eagles off season, but with Coach Ellis, there wasn't. And and it it feels like, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, but this is another fresh start for you, right? It is. You had yeah. you had the fresh start when you moved from Cleveland to Florida. You had the fresh start when you uh, at Auburn after your first year when you got to go and and play at uh, with the Irish national team, right? And now you get another fresh start after kind of establishing yourself as a developmental player and you're much further along. Yeah. What, what, what was he like to you? What did he tell you? What was his expectations of you? Um, I don't think he ever gave me expectations. I think it was more, you know, he would just, you know, he would come up and he'd uh, not, not so much congratulate you, but he'd confirm or affirm when you were doing good things. You know, keep doing this, keep doing that. I don't, I don't think till my junior year when we played in San Juan, he uh, after one game, he was just like, you know, guys, we got a stud on our team. And I'm looking around the room like, who's he talking about? You know, and uh, we had just beat uh, Louisville in the finals. And they had Samaki Walker and uh, Lewis Sims. And I remember at that point, my junior year, he was like, look, there's people that are coming. They're going to start looking at you. And uh, I was like, what? Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just playing college ball. Like, again, is, I think one of the things that I, I, I lacked in those, that was any type of goal that was outside of just that month or two months, you know, like, you know, I see a lot of times I see documentaries and I'm like, man, I wish I could go back and start thinking big picture more when I was younger. Do you though? I mean, like, there, there's the the naivete. I think is a healthier thing, right? Like, if you, yeah. I kind of think all, all they think now is big picture, whereas you don't enjoy the little things, like the little growth and the other stuff. If you're worried, big like, were you were you a regular student? Did you go to the football games? Did you go to parties, or you know, were you? Because yeah. because I will tell you now, if you go to a college campus, they're barely students. And, and I'm not saying they don't take classes, but they take them online. 
Yeah. Right. They're at the facility. They're at training table. They're in front of their computer in the student athlete, like academic area and very rarely on campus. And to me, it, like I, I was actually just at my own model. And one of the freshmen was like, yeah, we just, I just moved all my class online. And both me and the head coach, Mike Boyton were like, bro, I think you want, you should get to campus, you know, like one of your days a week, just because there's nothing like winning a game, a league game, beating Oklahoma and then strutting on campus, right? That's the shit. That's yeah, the, that's the, the best part. Yeah. So I, I understand like you were like, man, I can't believe all this stuff was happening around me. I didn't even know. On the other hand, I don't know. I think that naivete is super healthy because it allowed you to enjoy and absorb all this other stuff that's going on. Yeah. I think uh, when I tell you about my senior year, I think that that's absolutely spot on because, you know, being Irish, being an immigrant coming over, when you're coming from nothing, you have nothing to lose. So I don't think there was any fear that I was playing with my junior year. I was just putting it all on the line. You know, like I was going to parties. I was going, you know, I was going to class, making sure that I took care of my stuff. So in a sense, I I definitely agree that, you know, my junior year probably was the end then of me being in the moment. And then I, all of a sudden I, I clicked something and a switch went off. And then I just kind of, I was thinking way too much. You were thinking too much your senior year? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's yeah. a really hard one. I think everybody kind of goes to that. They, people wonder why sometimes seniors don't perform to the level of expectations, and that's why, because they put too much on them, yeah. on themselves. I, I got to ask, though, Irish background, you had to be a legendary beer drinker in, in college. <laughs> you know, sometimes people will call me former teammates, and they'll tell me a story, and I'll be like, I don't remember that. I'm not, I'm not co-signing that. So <laughs> there was a lot especially with the Irish national team. You know, we, we have a pilgrimage. We'd go to the Guinness brewery uh, in the summer. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of really good, good, good memories, good stories, a lot of beer. So, okay. Well, I have a friend, Dave Revson works for the big 10 network and he did a semester abroad and actually played a little basketball there. And he said like, so in Ireland, it is a fact. It is not an arguable fact that the closer to the brewery, the pub is the better the beer. Is that accurate? And then, of course, you went to the actual brewery. So, what is what what is the reality to the quality of Guinness? It's it's extremely interesting. But I didn't know this until the first time I went over. There's they said there's three grades of Guinness. So there's an A, B, and C. And most of the time, we're drinking B or C. And A is only brought out during like St. Patrick's Day or big festive events. So there probably is a uh, some sort of radius inside of what you're sharing that, you know, there's only so many of the really good barrels and kegs coming out of there. But uh, as far as like having one in Ireland compared to having one in Cleveland, Ohio or Mount Dora, Florida, it's it's night and day. You know, like I, I was just over I was just over for four weeks, got back about four or five days ago. And uh, it's just a significant difference. Your senior year, what do you remember? So I think once I heard that there were scouts coming, I was like, you know what? It's the junior year. Damien, uh, or not Damien, uh, Eric Dampier is uh, kind of at the the pinnacle of the draft in, uh, what was that, 96. So we're at the SEC tournament. And I remember Mississippi State is taking us out. 
we made it to the second game. They went to the Final Four that year, too. So, I mean, it's not like yeah. they're a bad team, right? So, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at them, and I'm, I'm getting into my defensive position for a free throw in our basket. He's shooting the free throw. And I remember looking at his forearms, and I'm like, damn, this guy's big. I'm like, I got to get big. So, I devote all my time going into the weight room, not going in and, and balancing the weight room or not even balancing any understanding of – what muscle groups do you need to work on? You know, like now in today's world, it's like every sport has got specific things that they're working on, a lot of core, or, you know, upper body, lower body. I was just going in there and I'm doing everything that an Auburn football strength coach is telling me to do. So I go from 245 pounds, I get up to 280 pounds when I get to my senior year. Yeah, I mean, I, I look like an NFL player. I was huge. And uh, I go out to uh, start the first game, you know, put some good numbers up in the preseason. As two or three games go by, I get winded after four minutes. And Coach, has to, Coach Ellis has to take me out. So I remember Mamadou Njai was a, a, a freshman coming in. So he kept getting the call. And I remember just looking, I was on the bench watching him play. And he was doing really well. And I'm like going, how the hell am I getting out of the game? And I kept thinking it was something about Coach Ellis didn't like and I was like, what, what, what is this? And, and I had actually taken myself out with all the pressure. And so all my stats and everything were lower my senior year than my junior year. And I just remember that, that it was probably around Christmas or, you know, there was a break coming. I remember we were at a practice and Coach Ellis came up to me and he was just like very stern. And he's like, damn it, you are strong enough. Get the hell out of the weight room. I don't want to want to see you in that weight room the rest of the year. And uh, I still kept thinking to myself, like, I got to make this happen. And then, of course, over the season, I just I kept getting to the point where I couldn't even get in the game because I couldn't even stay, you know, cardio ready. And uh, and then, of course, my when I went and played pro my first year out, I got back to 250, lost all the weight, got and I got back to myself. We'll get we'll get to that in a second. So you your 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 last game, your senior year, where was it? Uh, last game, we didn't make it into the NIT or anything that year. And I remember I was just being so upset at the idea that, uh, Auburn was on the quarter system at that time. And again, as we weren't a basketball school and that we lived for March madness, we were more of a football school that when the basketball team got into March, we all wanted to have our break and go home. And, uh, it just, it upset me that like, this is my senior year. This is the end of it. And I think I think that was in I think it was the tournament that year was in Nashville, and uh, I just remember at the end of it, just thinking, you know, I, I can't believe I let this senior year end like this, and it just felt crappy. You know, I remember going out and in the SEC tournament, we were out, you know, afterwards, and and this one person came up to me and was like, "Oh man, are you Pat Burke?" And I'm like, "Yeah," I was like, "Oh, I picked you for my fantasy league SEC team because you were the leading." You were the leading rebounder coming back into your senior year. And they say, like, what happened? And I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> the whole what happened. Like, I was like, you know, there's such a story there that I overthought, you know, going back to what you were saying like four or five minutes ago, it's like I wasn't in the moment. I was thinking too far into the future. And in, in doing so, I cut myself out. Um, how long after your senior year did you realize that it was you, not not Coach Ellis. Oh, uh, it was probably two or three years later. Yeah, because I would say, 
So my, you know, my junior year, I led the country in assists, but it's actually, I played the fewest minutes per game of any year in my career because I got in the coach's doghouse. Right. And I had, after my first year there, I came back. I mean, I was ready and I was killing it, but I got a technical in, in a Florida Atlantic game. I had 18 assists, but I got a bad technical and we lose in some crazy shit. And then we play UCLA and actually got thrown out of the game. And some is managing my emotions. Um, but you know, again, like when I look back at what I, like I struggle to watch myself play in college because guys played off me because I couldn't shoot. But you know, like forever, I would, uh, you know, you have that, you get done with college and you're like, if you wouldn't have fucking taken me out every time I've missed a shot, I yeah. would have been able to make shots. On the other yeah. hand, like I realized that I would work and work and work every off season. And then I also went through the getting too big. So you couldn't shoot, right? Put on too much muscle. And then the other part is like you get into practice and you start working less on your game and on shooting and your mentality. And then you go through practice where you don't take shots in live action. So you get in the game and of course you're not going to take shots. Right. So I would say it's the same thing, right? It's like, it's like really two years for me before I was like, you know what? It wasn't him. It was me. Yeah. And like, that's a sign of ultimate maturity when you start pointing the finger in like, yeah, that was, that's my bad. That, yeah. That's, that's my coach. That, that, uh, so that was in the 97 and then in 98, uh, Peyton and myself, we got married. We met at school. And I remember I invited all the guys and I didn't invite Coach Ellis because I had a grudge thinking it was him. And I remember like a year after that, I went, I was on campus and I, and, you know, I had a great relationship with him and his family. And his son came up to me and just blatantly just said, why didn't you invite my dad to your wedding? And I had some bullshit excuse, you know, not owning the fact that I made something up. And so he, uh, sorry, he ended up, he ended up giving me probably a seated understanding to start thinking, why did you, why did you do that? You know, cause every time I look at my wedding photos and all the, all the fun that we had, you know, like all these great people that were around my life at the time, Marty Waters, all of my teammates and all that were there. And it's like, coach wasn't there. And it was because of my grudge. And I realized that whenever I look at those photos, sometimes and I realize like the people that weren't there and I'm going, you know, I made some shit up, you know, and I have to own that. All right, that's it for part one of my talk with, with Pat Burke. Of course, that's the growing up high school and college experience. How did he make it overseas? How did he make it in the NBA? What was that lifestyle like? and the juxtaposition of the two, and the lessons learned along the way. In addition to which, um, we're going to try and fix USA basketball as we get ready for next year's Olympics. All that is upcoming. A reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 5 Eastern time on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app or foxsportsradio.com. Of course, that's noon to 2. Um, I also have a daily podcast called In the Bonus. You can check that out. That's all sports, not just basketball. Matter of fact, this time of year, obviously, we rarely – talk basketball but it's it's good stuff and a reminder we'll drop uh part two probably in about two days my thanks to pat burke that's part one i'm doug gottlieb this is all ball
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.